All right, well, if you have a Bible, open to Lamentations chapter 1, chapter 2, as well as where we will be this morning as we continue our conversation on wisdom. We are now into part two of this. And part two, just to be upfront, spoiler alert, it's going to take us to some darker places. We're going to talk about grieving, loss, and the spiritual development phase that we are calling disorientation. Now, before we get there, just a couple of things that I want to say. Namely, I'm just so proud of our church, of our Discovery family, the ways that you guys have been hanging in there and have stayed committed to this community for the past year. Today, uh, as we gather in the park, we're going to be celebrating and commissioning a new team, our deacon team, Kayla, Liz, Alex, and Reed. The four of them uh, have already met once, and I'm so excited for how God is going to use that team to help our community move forward in strategies and systems and some good things like that. It's just going to be fantastic for, for them to get on the ground and get moving. So I'm proud of that. Uh, the ways in which that has come together. Also, last Sunday was Serve Sunday, the second time we've done it. And in this weird pandemic time in which we live, you know, we haven't been able to do like, hey, let's get a bunch of people together in the same place and work on a project. So you just never quite know how these things are going to turn out. But you guys showed up big time last week. We are, are uh, sending huge piles of goods to Davis Community Meals and Fourth and Hope over in Woodland. We've been able to donate uh, about $2,000 worth of gift cards uh, to the um, Interfaith Rotating Winter Shelter. And just all kinds of amazing things um, have come out of that. So thank you so much for your generosity and for helping the second Serve Sunday be a huge success. We've got a couple more of those coming up this year. So stay tuned, plenty of time to be involved in that. Hey, I know we just prayed for the offering, but I want to say a quick prayer here as we get ready to, to dive into this conversation. So Heavenly Father, God, again, thank you for all that you are doing in and through our, our, our church that we get to be a part of this work with you. We ask now that you would take all of our busyness, frenzy, activity, that you would just allow us to pause. to put down our phones, to stop clicking on things, to um, take a deep breath and just be here for a few minutes. Slowing down in our world is so hard. But God, help us to put on the brakes here for a moment so that we can be fully present, that we can be in tuned, attuned to your spirit, moving and speaking to us. And as we talk about heavier issues, would you help us to be honest with where we are, with what's going on in our heart and in our bodies and in our minds and in our souls? We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Well, again, today marks the, the year anniversary of canceling in-person gatherings and going online. In fact, if you go back and watch our live stream from last year at this time. It's kind of funny, it's pretty painful, but it is also a Sunday 
that I will never forget. And here we are a year later, still in this thing, but there is some light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, again, the thing I'm so proud of is that we are still in it together. I want to read just one verse now from uh, the book of Lamentations to kind of give us a taste of it. And then we're going to kind of keep leaning into that here as we, we move through this over the next few minutes. But Lamentations chapter 2, verse 11 says, My eyes fail from weeping. I am in torment within. My heart is poured out on the ground because my people are destroyed, because children and infants faint in the streets of the city. Again, it's been a year. It's been a year. It's been a long, hard challenging year for so many different reasons for all of us. And you know, for a lot of the year, I would have said that the predominant emotion that I was experiencing was anger. Anger about the disruption, about the way things were being handled, the inconvenience, about the number of people that were dying, about the cavalier approach of some to this moment. Anger just about what was going on. As the year has worn on, I have learned that yes, there is definitely some anger, but really the predominant emotion is that I am sad. I'm sad, I'm grieving. Grieving all kinds of things. Again, the loss, the, the ways in which this experience has negatively impacted my kids. Sad about so many different things that have happened over the course of this year. And, you know, to be honest, I don't like feeling this way. I don't like feeling sad. And so I'll make jokes about it. I'll minimize it in different ways. But the truth is, it's there. And I cannot just make it go away. Grief is not a puzzle to be solved. Grief needs to be heard. Grief needs words. The other day, um, after a recent episode of the show WandaVision, are you, are you uh, up to speed on this? That's part of the Marvel Universe. It's a Disney Plus show. I, confession, haven't seen the show and I'm way behind on a lot of the Marvel stuff. But uh, there's a line from this show that started popping up online in different places. And the line is this. What is grief? What is grief if not love persevering? What is grief if not love persevering? I have very little context for that line. It may, I don't really even know what's going on you know, within the storyline of the show, but I know this, those words, that line, when I read it, it was like, oh, yes. That's what's been going on in me as I've been processing this grief. We grieve because we love. And something we love has been wounded. What is grief if not love persevering? There is a good gift that happens that, that we receive when someone is able to put words to the thing that we're experiencing. When our grief is named, when our grief is heard, that is a good gift. And this is what the book of Lamentations is about. About. It is about the gift of words. It is about a voice for our grief. Now, Lamentations is a book that most of us, if we're being honest, have not read before. 
it, it has a few like super quotable verses and lines, but for the most part, it's dark and it's brutal and it's not very fun reading. So let me talk a little bit about what this book is, why it's in our Bible, and what's going on here, and then we'll, we'll draw a couple of conclusions about this and how it connects to wisdom in a moment. So the book of Lamentations is written after a national tragedy. For God's people, for the people of Israel, the worst possible thing that could have happened has happened. And now they're trying to make sense of it. They are trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Are you with me? Now, what is the national tragedy? To understand this moment and the depth of their grief, we need to remember the big story of Scripture here for for a second. In Genesis 1 and 2, going all the way back to the beginning, God creates the world. And in this poetic, uh, beautiful description of God's good creation, lots of different things are going on, of course, but one of the themes that's embedded into it is the theme of temple. This idea that God is building a temple, a place for him to dwell with people. Right from the very beginning of the story, God's intention is to live with people, to create a world so that he can live with us on earth. Now, human rebellion, sin, when we reject God's good created order explicitly in Genesis 3, it leads to separation, right? Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden. And so there's this disconnect between God's dwelling and human dwelling. Now, the good news of the story of Scripture, fast forwarding a little bit, right, is that God keeps coming towards us, keeps pursuing us, keeps getting closer and closer to humanity. So many other stories in our world are about us trying to either be God or get to God by our good behavior. But the good news of the story of Scripture is that God comes close to us. God comes close to us. He wants to dwell with us. Now, God does this, first of all, by choosing a family, specifically Abraham and Sarah to be the, the, the mom and dad, if you will, of this family. This family grows. God makes promises with them or covenants. He rescues this family from a dire situation, right? Slavery in a foreign land. Their relationship grows as the family grows over time. And eventually the family comes to populate the land that God had given them. And they become a nation. And they have a king. And then one of those kings, named Solomon, he's actually the third king, builds a building called the temple. This is the crowning achievement of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. They have become a nation. They have a country. They have a capital city in Jerusalem. They have a temple, a place for God to dwell with them. It's this final stamp of approval of like, we've made it. We've made it. From Abraham to slavery to wandering in the desert to this emerging kingdom, it's all led to this. Our nation established and we've now built this place for God. And so now everything's going to go great, right? Nope, actually, it's a pretty terrible downward spiral from that moment on. After Solomon, there's a long run of really bad kings. There's a kingdom split, north 
and south, the people turn away from right relationship with God. The whole thing goes off the rails. And as it goes off the rails, God sends people called prophets to confront this situation, to warn the people, if you keep doing this, if you keep rejecting God, worshiping other gods, choosing other things to be first in your life, there are going to be consequences for that. Amos, Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, all these other prophets, their essential message is come back. You're, you're going the wrong way. Come back. God wants to be with you. He wants to reconcile with you. And so we need to turn around and come back to right relationship with God and with each other. That's the big message. One of the themes within that is this. The temple is great. It's awesome. But it is not the thing. Our relationship with God is more important than that building. And in classic human fashion, no one listens, no one changes. Sure, there's exceptions to that, but as a whole, they just keep on doing what they're doing, ignoring these warnings, thinking it will never happen to us. But then, in 722 BC, the northern kingdom is conquered by the Assyrian Empire and taken off into exile. The southern kingdom continues to exist for another 130, 150 years, which in some ways just leads to even more arrogance on their part. Along comes, though, a guy named Jeremiah, again, one of these prophets, and he says to the southern kingdom, if you continue to keep doing the same thing that you guys have been doing for hundreds of years now, you will also go into exile. You are not safe just because the temple is here. And again, no one could conceive that this could possibly happen. This, there's no way it's going to happen to us. We're the exception. No way. But then it happens. Babylon, filling the vacuum left by Assyria, comes and destroys everything. Under their young, <clears throat> ambitious king Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon sieges the southern kingdom for 18 months, leaves Jerusalem wasted, burns the temple to the ground, carts up the people, and takes them off into exile. You can read about this in Jeremiah 52, 2 Kings 25, and then of course here in Lamentations. The pictures we get, especially in Lamentations, are brutal and horrible. Some of them will make your stomach turn. But this is also not random. There is a deep beauty and structure to this book. It's five poems. The first four poems are Hebrew acrostic using the Hebrew alphabet, 22 letters corresponding to the 22 verses. The structure itself communicating this is the totality of our grief and our suffering. It's complete, A to Z. Take a look at it. The poetry in the Hebrew itself is rhythmic. It's dirge-like. It's not, uh, you know, pretty light poetry. It's like an angry rap with a bass line that's going to rattle your windows. Let me give you a couple of phrases from chapters 1 and 2. Zion, Jerusalem weeps bitterly. Zion, Jerusalem, has lost 
her glory. She's lost and homeless. She's become a joke. Chapter 2, God is angry. God has not shown us compassion. God has become like an enemy. And in the middle of all of this, these cries to be paid attention to. Verse 18 of chapter 1, Listen, people, look at my suffering. Pay attention, Lord. Right, God, look at what's happened to us. I'm in trouble. My stomach is churning. My heart is pounding inside me because I am so bitter. In the streets, the sword kills. In the house, it is like death. Lamentations, there's a theology to it for sure, but it's less a a theological commentary on suffering, and it's much more of a communal memorial to a national tragedy. And that communal part is so important. We're going to come back to that in a couple of weeks. This is not just, again, an, an individual who's had a hard time. This is about the nation reckoning with the unimaginable. And so Lamentations does not exist to give us an adequate answer to why this terrible thing has happened. Other books in the Old Testament take a stab at that. Lamentations is not about the why. It's about voicing the grief. It's about voicing the grief. The gift of the book of Lamentations is that it provides language for this very human experience of tragedy, of grief, of loss. Now, that may sound reasonable and good and like it's great that that's in the Bible, but the question might be at this point, what does that have to do? What does processing our grief have to do with wisdom. Why is this part of the wisdom conversation? Well, in the Jewish tradition, in Jewish Bibles, Lamentations is considered part of the writings or the wisdom literature, along with Psalms and Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes. Protestants have tended to stick it with the uh, historical or prophetic books. I think that's a miscasting of this book. One of the things that we saw when we looked at Proverbs a couple weeks ago is that wisdom literature in Scripture is about all of life. All of life. Whether you're looking at the ecstatic ode to sex and intimacy in the Song of Solomon or the long philosophical treatise of the book of Job, whether, you, whether you're looking at the existential angst of Ecclesiastes or the, the earthy, folksy wisdom of the book of Proverbs, whether you're looking at Psalms, which includes this whole breadth of human emotion and experience or lamentations, which hones in on grief. Wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom is about all of life, the full human experience, even grief and tragedy. And then there's this normal part. I I think we don't talk about this enough in church, but a normal part of spiritual development, spiritual growth, the wisdom journey It is moving through what we are calling disorientation, that moment when it all falls apart. What do you do? What do you do when life falls apart? What do you do when a pandemic disrupts your life for a year? What do you do when when the system that, that seemed to be working so well doesn't work anymore? What do you do when conventional wisdom fails? What do you do when your theology doesn't make sense to you anymore? What do you do when the worst possible thing, the unthinkable thing happens? What do you do? We have options, right? 
We can become angry. We can become disillusioned. We can go through a period of deconstruction. We can quit. We can become apathetic. What Scripture invites us to do, whether it's the Psalms, whether it's the Book of Lamentations, whether it's the life of Jesus, what Scripture invites us to do is to turn your disorientation, your grief, into a prayer. To name it, to take it out, to say, what is this trying to teach me? This is what Lamentations is. Five intricate, amazing prayers. God doesn't do much or say much in this book, but He is everywhere throughout each of these poems, every verse oriented towards, God, why is this happening? How could you? How dare you? Where are you? Do you still care? Are you still there? They, and again, it is communal, not individual. They take it all to God. And it's, it's, it's rough and raw and, and, and a little bit uncomfortable at times, but it's a prayer. It's wrestling with God. It's talking to God about the reality of what they have gone through. Taking their grief and turning it into a prayer. What are you grieving? 527,000 dead in the last year. Loss of jobs, income, Disconnection from family and loved ones, life disrupted, working from home, distance learning. Maybe your grief has nothing to do with the pandemic, but it's there. You've been carrying it. You've been stuffing it down somewhere, keeping on a brave face because, wow, other people have it worse, so I need to just kind of soldier on, right? What are you grieving? Here's the thing, grief doesn't distinguish or rationalize. Your heart doesn't measure suffering A versus suffering B. It just knows that you're grieving. Grief is grief. And it needs to be named. It, it needs words, it wants to be heard. And it must be turned into a prayer. Jesus on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is an incredible statement on, on many levels. One is that it's a quote from the Psalms, from David, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? By the way, that's a lament psalm. On the cross, on the cross, the worst thing happens. God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, God dies. God, who has existed in eternity as this community of three in oneness, allows that community, that relationship to be broken, for there to be a separation to occur. And it is hell. It hurts. But do you see what Jesus does in that moment? 
Even in this horrific moment, he prays his grief. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The good news of the cross is the truth that God has entered into suffering. God is in it with us in our grief and our pain. He is not unaffected by it. He is with you in that place. And that's what the cross is about in so many ways. God coming towards us, suffering with us, praying with us. My God, my God. And through that, through that comes transformation. That prayer being transformed into something new, into resurrection and new life. But before resurrection, solidarity, right? Solidarity, God suffering with us. God's grief on display in the bloody and broken body of Jesus Christ. Again, what are you grieving? How can you turn your grief into a prayer? And as you ponder that, Take your elements, the body and blood of Jesus. And remember, God is with you in your grief.